This is Overdrive Radio. I'm Todd Dills, and in this week's podcast, we're talking building the customer base with flatbed owner-operator Tim Klaus. Klaus runs with his own authority under the name TDK Transportation, based in southeast Missouri. Some regular Overdrive readers, I imagine, may well recognize the company name, under which Klaus has been a somewhat regular commenter on our OverdriveOnline.com website over the last few years. He's taken an interesting approach to flatbed freight with a regular customer, loading bulk rock and getting paid on a scale that varies according to the amount of product he can get on the trailer. That fact influenced a trailer change he made some time ago that you might find interesting, which we got into in the early part of the talk that follows. He starts here with an anecdote about the load he was under early this week when we got on the phone. They had a load of rock come up here about prize though, and the uh, motor was going over east or west of Joliet. So I put them both sure. together for 52,427 pounds and I scaled it. <laughs> wow. That was a good load. Good yeah. load. Is that, mm-hmm. and that's, that's like, that's about the, that's about your max, uh, gross there, right? I just a little bit over. I had to watch my fuel. Once I got to the scales, I was legal. But I was just a little over when I loaded, so burned out some fuel and everything was fine. You know, you have uh, you described this to me or sort of a distinct um, competitive advantage in the way that uh, uh, you uh, spec the trailer, I guess. Or um, uh, tell tell me a little bit about that. It's a it's not a forty eight foot flatbed, right? It's a it's forty five. No. 45-foot flatbed, 96 inches wide. Um, I bought this trader second-handed from a dealer. He bought it off of a lumber company, and it had some problems. But I bought one, and what I did is I traded an old aluminum stock trailer I had. I bought it at an auction and fixed it up, and I took it to a show. And uh, it sat there and sat there and sat there. And what happened in 2004? 16 when the rates all started dropping i started getting my rates hammered pretty hard and uh i knew from experience before that the 45 footers were a lot lighter than the 48s and if i could sure. push my weight up to over 50,000 with a side kit that i would have a competitive advantage so i did that and i started quoting all my rates at 50,000 so we since then we're changing it to tonnage rates now that way, you know, it's 50000 customer pays for 50 If it's 51 they pay for 51 If I don't quite get 51 they pay they's 49 they pay a fair amount. And that's really working out good. A lot of customers really like that. That way they know they're being treated right. And uh, basically, I go into places and load like last Friday, and there were two prime trucks loading in. And I thought the prime trucks were really light you know, with the super singles and everything. But they loaded their rock, and one of them had to go around twice and unload to get the weight off of it. And I loaded my load, and, and it was perfect, 78,000. Wow. Interesting. So, yes, uh, I mean, how much weight do you save with a, um, with a uh, 45 versus a 48, you know? I think if you took the – if I was going to say I think I could save – I want to say about 1,500 pounds. I'm just saying, I think they're about 500 pounds to a foot is what you figure them at. Okay. And, uh, you know, 
it works out good for me because I've been in this business for so long that I know what'll fit and what won't. I ran into a problem. Uh, I was going to book a load of sheetrock, and well, my idea of a load of sheetrock is four foot wide, eight foot long, six foot drop tarps. Everything's fine. Well, when I got the uh, sheet, the uh, from the broker, it said on there that they were twelve feet long, fifty four inches wide. So I well, I don't know if that'll work. So I called the customer that was shipping it, and I said, this is what I got. He said, no, we can't. We can't overhang on both ends. And I said, that's fine. So right away, I called the broker and said, I'm sorry, but it won't work on my trailer. And they were fine because, you know, they had, uh, I just, I probably hadn't had to load for over maybe a half hour or an hour, you know, as long as you can give it back. If I wouldn't have called, I would have driven all the way there and then can't load. Now everybody's right. stuck with load, so. But I've hauled some long stuff, 50 foot pipe. Uh, just let it hang over the back, put lights on it, flag, as long as you don't go over 53 feet. Klaus has been trucking most all of his life before a decade from about 2001, following a series of dreadful errors in his personal life, crimes of power and control, he says, that landed him in prison. When he emerged from behind bars late in the last decade, it wasn't too very long before he was hauling sand to natural gas fracking operations and doing quite well, all told. You don't have to have been around trucking for very long to recall what happened to those gigs when fuel prices dropped from their historic highs in 2014. For Klaus, it dried up a little earlier as activity in his area in Missouri fell off in 2012. Since then, he's transformed his business to one that relies on a mix of direct ship freight with just five to six brokered loads a year, he says. Well, we were hauling frack sand out of uh, Brewer, Missouri, over to Cutler, Illinois, for uh, for a bulk company. It was a broker deal. Uh, they paid us a percentage, or a flat tonnage rate. I believe back then it was 540 a ton for 50 miles. And okay. then fuel surcharge, too, and it was real good back then. That was in uh, 2012. So we would haul this sun, uh, sand from 5 o'clock in the evening to 5 o'clock in the morning and I put a truck on it a driver and then I had a job and I quit that job so I bought me an old ball ball and I bought another hopper and I gave the driver the new hopper and then I took the old hopper and I hauled and we were hauling all night long and it was good and then all of a sudden we'd get there and no we're not loading sand tonight and then we'd uh, we'd go up there we'd load one load and they'd tell us not to come back Right. And it kept getting slower and slower. And then the dispatchers at the at the brokerage were trying to keep us going. But the owner of the company said, I want my truck hauling that sand. So they put us out. Okay. So my driver, I put in, we, it was 2012 was a drought in Missouri. And I found if I buy hay in the Cumberland Mountains of Tennessee, we could haul it back to Missouri. So I started thinking, well, I got to get him down there. I can't deadhead him down there. And I remembered from years ago, we had a company that shipped lumber down in Knoxville all the time, just constantly. They're always looking for Knoxville trucks. So uh, I called them up and they said, sure, we'd love to have you haul for us. So we started hauling lumber to Knoxville, loading hay, coming back. The hay was uh, 10 foot wide and we got a variance from uh, state of Tennessee, no permit, just flag it and tag it and go okay. and we were bringing it across into missouri 
Kentucky wouldn't allow us to go through. They called it a divisible load because the bales were five foot wide. They could be stacked in the middle of the trailer. And that's why this guy had a good deal in his hay because he couldn't get rid of it because his customers are all in Ohio. So I bought all that hay and we, we hauled that for several months and did real good, but then it rained. So that was the end of the hay hauling right there. So we tried a few other loads with this driver and, and he did his best he could, but he had a lot of problems. And so I just had to lay him off. And I started running around those short in-state loads uh, and hauling in by Kansas City and St. Louis. And, and uh, the brokers had the freight, but it just wasn't enough. It wouldn't keep you busy. So I started noticing that there were certain points going to certain points and I thought man this it can only be going into one one customer so I called that customer and they said no we don't control that but here's who does and I ended up with a very good customer there and I hauled for another customer we hauled for all the way back through the 90s and a lot of pallet lumber and stuff like that and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and and, and one day uh, I noticed one of my rock customers they had a load out of California that needed a, a wooden side kit. And that load was on there from February till June. It was still there because nobody had a wooden side kit. And I knew a guy that had several of them that they had closed. And I went down and talked to him and he sold me a side kit. And I loaded up and took a load out and I uh, got out there and the people out there, they liked what I had because the ship they were building side kits and it was work and you know it was expensive they were around seven hundred dollars a set and a lot of drivers wouldn't pay for them and and i said well i've got my side kit you know i don't need that and they said well why don't you just haul for us so i've been hauling for them since about 2014 to uh pennsylvania miami florida uh different points new jersey missouri uh ohio wisconsin just different places it goes they'll give me a call and, and that was basically when we decided better lighten up here a little bit the more rock we can haul from california the more these customers appreciate and they'll call you back so that's kind of how i transformed it in i just kept building and two years ago i always wanted everything right now now that i've gotten older i can wait and i build and you know and i work on things as i can and make it build more customers and i've got some sure. good customers they're all good, but some don't pay as good as others. Some pay better, you know, way I work myself into it. And then uh, basically building a customer base is like building a broker base. You know, you just got to make your phone calls. Keep your sort of keep your eyes open to opportunities. Right. You're always looking, you know, it's it's uh, I do a lot of Internet searches. And uh, if I'm basically looking for something and, and i know there's customers out there that if you just key in like what they do and stuff like that it'll bring customers up you know and some want to deal strictly with brokers some want to deal strictly with large trucking companies and 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 there is a lot of companies out there that will load single owner operators like me i've heard stories i've uh, heard lots of stories like that in the past you know it's um People, a lot of people just don't um, either have the time or take the time. Um, when, when when people do, like, like yourself, it sounds like uh, there can be rewards to this. They can you know, set you up for longer term relationships with with shippers, better 
better income, et cetera. I mean, how, how has for you over those years, um, uh, I know, I know wider economy has been kind of creeping along, um, it's barely, barely growing, but uh, have you really grown your income in, in over those years? Oh yeah, definitely. It just gets a little better. The, the key to building income is you got to, you know, when you start running a California trip, you got to finance that trip because you're on your own. When you're a single guy like me, uh, there ain't nobody going to send me a comm check. I could draw a comm check off of a, a broker if I take a broker letter up, but companies, they're not going to give you a penny. They want you to haul their freight, fill them in 30 days, they'll pay you. So you got to yep. build up your surplus so you can pay for your fuel. And then you also got to be, <laughs> you break down on the road. You better have a way to get money quick, you know, and keep rolling. Yep. And uh, I've always been lucky about that. You know, I, I, I'm a low overhead operator. I don't run junk, but I don't run brand new fancy trucks. You know, I've got that 09 Cascadia. It's a Walmart truck. And I mean, it's nothing fancy about it. There's no chrome on the interior. It's just a working truck. And it works out good for me. And I've had, uh, put about 80,000 miles on it. And everybody's saying, oh, this is going to go wrong and that's going to go wrong. And so far, you know, knock on wood, and I'm knocking on top of my head right now. <laughs> I've got, I had good luck with it. How many miles do you say you put on it? I put about 80,000 on it since I put it in service. Uh, I believe it's uh, last November. I'm driving my international now. Uh, it's a 97 oh, okay. with a 3406E cat. I've poured a lot of money in this truck, but and I've had people beg me to sell them this truck, and I just will not do it. And right. it just I like this old truck. It has never one time it let me down. It's it just died in a truck stop lot. And I had to get a record to pull it to a Freightliner dealer, which was a block away. And it was a camshaft sensor went out on it. And I could have stared okay. at that engine all day long and not figured that out. You might as well just go get it. Well, actually, Freightliner worked on it and said they had it fixed. And I went back out there to start it, and it would not start. And okay. I went in there and asked if there was warranty on that truck. Well, you know, there's so much warranty we could put. And I said, he said, why? And I said, because it won't start. And he's like, oh, well, you know, he's stomping out there looking for the mechanic and everything else. And uh, they got into it and they found out it was a crankshaft sensor. That, that old truck's been good. And I say, these old trucks are good. You take care of them. You're going to have to spend some money, though. They do wear out like anything else. And, and once you get them in good shape, this one here, about the only thing I have rebuilt is transmission. And it's getting a little noisy, but it does all right. I don't worry about it too much. Right. Why, why did you take that one on this trip, not the 2009? I took a load of pipe down to Jaw, New Mexico. And when I loaded up there in Illinois, the guy was telling me, he said, that is a place that's unforgiving down there. He said, that sand has no bottom. And I went home, and I was getting ready to go. And I said, man, and another thing he said, all that fender skirt and that bumper is just going to drag. And I'm like, oh, oh man, good. I don't want to tear this new truck up. Newer truck, not new truck. But So I switched over uh, a couple keystrokes on a iPad and 18 bucks, and I could switch my plates. Real simple. 
So I, sure. I switched them over, got that all done, got a TRO, uh, no, uh, T <laughs> temporary operation permit, POP or something, a TRO, uh-huh. that's a temporary screening order, <laughs> uh, or whatever it's <laughs> <Yeah>. called, thing. <laughs> and I, uh, off to New Mexico, I went, and I got down there, and it rained. They had about two inches of rain that night. I woke up and said, now this is going to be interesting. And it wasn't bad. It was just, you know, it was rough and it was wet, slick in places. But I was pushing water up to the top of the bumper coming out of the place. So, wow. you know, so I got in last week and I thought I'd try the International another week, you know, because it needs to be run. You got you to gotta run these trucks every once in a while. You can't just let them sit. You got to start them up and drive them around a little bit or they will sure. fall apart. And this truck here, I probably put about 4,000, better 4,000 miles on it last two weeks which ain't a lot of miles, but she ain't missed lick. Can we talk to a little bit about, um, about sort of things in the more uh, more distant past in, in your um, history in trucking? I um, was, was wondering if you might uh, indulge just a little bit and uh, give, us a, give us a little bit of uh, your history, how you got started, and take us back to uh, the beginning. Well, I'll back up a little further than that. My dad's okay. been trucking since 41, I believe, 41 or 42, 1941 or 42. He was 14 years old, and he sent off to the state for a chauffeur's license, and he had to be 18 years old, and they sent him one. And he drove truck for my grandpa. Uh, they had a farm feed merchandise uh, business, and he would go to St. Louis with uh, – he put hogs underneath at the deck, and he put cows on the back, and they might put eggs on the top, and there might be chickens on the top, and there might be a bag of wool on top of that. And just whatever they bought at that store, you know, what they bartered for and traded for, and they take it to St. Louis and sell it. And then they bring feed and fertilizer and uh, hardware, Simmons hardware they hauled out of there. I mean, they brought it in and sold it. Uh, your king cutter brand which is uh popular with collectors now and he drove for years until he went into he was drafted into the korean war and he said when he got into the war they thought he was let's see he was 18 so they thought he was 22 years old and he said no i'm 18 well how come this says you're 22 he says because i sent off for it when i was 14. (laughs) so they straightened that out and they got him a they got him a, uh, a chauffeur's license with his right age on it and everything. And, and he came home for the war. He continued to uh, truck. And he bought a tractor and trailer and and all small single-axis gas burner stuff. And, you know, grain and hay. And uh, he was the, he was a true independent. Uh, he right. never tripped leased. He didn't broker. Every load he either owned or is exempt. And a lot of loads we all we owe a lot of lumber to the ports there at the end. Dad, we never knew if we were exactly legal or not, but it was the 80s, 70s and 80s, beginning of the 80s, and nobody ever said anything, you know, so we just hauled. And right. uh, that kept us pretty busy. And, and I hauled, I worked for Dad until I was 22, and I got a chance to go to work for a lumber company. And what, what they did is they take their lumber out, and then you trip lease back. And one of the guys was retiring. They wanted me to drive his truck. It was a 
uh, standard nose Pete. It wasn't a long nose. It was kind of like the short nose now, a 79 right. model with a 290 with a 10 speed and a little short 38 foot trailer, uh, aluminum Ravens trailer. And I took that job. I didn't do very, I did well pay wise. I was really getting some big checks for back in that day. I mean, you know, uh, back in the late seventies, drivers just, you know, they made money, but not like I was making because I worked at it. I worked hard. Actually, I was thinking a while ago when you called me and here I am in Lake Station, Indiana, where I signed my first trip lease with a load of steel. I had no idea what I was doing. And I told another driver, I said, man, they sent me up here and I got all this stuff. I don't know how to use it. So he tripped leased the same load through the same carrier I did. And he went in and loaded with me and showed me how to chain my load down and how to right. haul that steel. And then we went thing, to right? uh, Chicago. Or, yeah, we went to St. Louis and I followed him and he lost me. I never seen the man again. And I was just, you know, back in those days, you helped each other. I mean, drivers really worked together, and uh, I just started hauling. I did well, and, uh, but I just didn't get along very good with the boss. So uh, one day, I took all my stuff out of the truck, went home, and, and they said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, no, no, you ain't got no job. I said, nope, ain't got no job. So uh, I went and bought a cab over international and uh, put it on with American Central Transport okay. and started hauling roofing stuff and it went on and we got a little you know i uh got into oh well american central their way was to go with the vans they kept put, trying to push us to these vans and i was a flat better you know i could pull a van but didn't like pulling a van and and so i went to work for dark trucking company out of canfield ohio and i was with them until they shut down their west coast operations we were hauling all the waste out to uh Boise, Idaho, and uh, Utah, sure. and all, all over the place. So, uh, I mean, I went on my own. I was with a little mom and pop company for a while. We had some money problems. Uh, we were building some major loads back then. I mean, you know, high dollar loads, and it took a lot of funding. And customers were not the best at paying on time, and right. it caused a lot of problems. And we had to split. And then I went with another mom and pop company just long enough to get my own authority. And we went on and we lost all that in 2001. So that was the end of that. And when I got back in, I talked to my ex-wife and she said, uh, she said, you can have it. <laughs> I'll never get involved in that mess again. And I said, oh, I'm just glutton for punishment. When Klaus was back in trucking a decade later, he found gravy and frack sand, as noted before as did great many owner-operators. When the boom subsides though, as is often the case for owner-ops, he returned to brass tacks with an eye on that dream haul out there. You look for good hauls, regular hauls. I mean, I've always, I want a tanker haul where I load a tank out of Missouri and I go to California, unload a tank and I go home empty. I want to do it every week. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I just go out that, there, that, let them run it off. That's that the holy that'd grail, be, you know, the holy grail. Yeah. That would be, yeah, that'd be the holy grail. Don't even wash it out. Bring it back and let the customer wash it out. There you go. That is, that there's the holy grail, you know. But uh, those those holes are just a little hard to find, you know. And uh, sure. when it's 
when the sand started back up where I live at, uh, there were several companies went right back into it. And one of them was a good sized flatbed company and they parked their flatbeds, tried to sell them off at an auction. And uh, it, our flatbed freight really increased. And, uh, you know, because that took a big chunk of the competition out right there. And, and uh, now we're getting a lot of calls, you know. Brokers sit there at a desk all day long and they look at lists and emails and websites on customers. Yep. And, and then they pick the freight they want to move, you know. And they put it out on that, dial a truck or, or different, you know, ways of conveying it out to different people. And they yep. look at it and say, well, we could all that, you know, or we could not all that or do whatever we want to. And basically, I just look at the same list. Now, I don't have a thousand customers. Actually, right now, the small customer base I have is all I need because I cannot keep servicing each customer in the way they should right. be serviced. You know, right. I, I can't. You know, it's, it just doesn't work that way. And, you know, I, you're, you're, I wish you're I, dealing with your one truck at this point, we should say. Like, when you come right. back into this business, uh, you, when you were doing the sand, um, or you did have that other that other driver working yeah. for you, but pretty yeah. much at this point, mm -hmm. you're you're one, you're you're yourself, and that's it, right? Right. I I had another driver after that other driver, and he had an accident. Oh, okay. And I mean, the, the the insurance company told me that he was okay to drive, and I right. said no. I I am not a thing against that driver. We still talk. We're still friends. And I see him all the time, and and they got a thing, but I couldn't keep up with him. Uh, it was very hard for me to uh, dispatch myself and keep him busy, and keep okay. his schedule straight. And it was more, you know, years ago I could do that. There's a, a younger guy at home. He's running like six by himself, and. He's got a couple of his own, and he's got a couple of owner-operators, and he does real well, but he's young, you know. He's probably 30 years old. Now, I'm right. getting up to the top of about double that, and, uh, you know, it's sure. a little tough for me to remember things, not like I used to, you know. Uh, sure. Used to, I could tell you every load I hauled and what the rate was, but I think I've forgotten <laughs> a few of them. <laughs> I hear you. You know, it's um, over. Time goes by, and you um, you sort of make choices about what you can manage. And some of those are made for you. But <laughs> well, um, uh, another thing happens until you get your freight base built for the second truck. Driver gets right. a paycheck. You don't. I mean, it really works on your revenue because what you're doing is you're taking your freight and giving it to him, then you're working on new freight for yourself. Basically, it all worked out for the best. Given his current California-based rock customer, Klaus needs the 2009, though he's used the annual mileage exemption for his other older trucks, too. With those older units, including the 1997 cat-powered International he mentioned earlier, he's exempt from using ELDs. He offered the following bit of advice to anyone looking to move to an older power unit for the purpose. I wrote in that one time about if you're going to run these older trucks, you really are to have two. 
you are to have one to run and then one for a spare. And that way, when the one you're running gives up on you and something major happens, you switch your plate from the insurance, go back over to your other truck. Because that's what happened. That's why I got to where I am. If I would have had to stop on this international and wait for it to be fixed, I would have had a lot of problems because it was some major work. It took several weeks to get some of it done. This right. way I could uh, park it, switch back to the F. I got an FLD 2000. Go back to that one truck. Great truck. Bought it off of uh, Shelby Elliott down at Sykeston. We did a little trading on that Volvo. And it comes from an owner-operator at North North American Van Lines. The man was meticulous with that truck. If a wire broke in it or anything, he replaced the whole circuit. There's no no splicing, no nothing on that truck. I mean, it's just unbelievable. You know, most people just yeah. take out the wire, put a piece of wire in, or put a splice in. Not this guy. Right. He was particular. And sure. uh, it was a nice truck, and it made me it made me a lot of money. And it, it just it was just like the ever ready uh, or ever ready bunny. It just kept going and going and going. And I still got right. it. Good truck, you know. And but when we were when they were talking about this ELD coming in, I thought, well, you know, we're gonna have to do it sooner or later. So I was going to get it started now. And now, what was it, two weeks ago? They come out that that 2000 Freightliner is going to be exempt because it's got a 99 engine in it. So now I got two ELD exempt trucks, and I would have been very happy to finish my trucking career out with that FLD. I would have I'd just been happy as could be. But I like this Cascadia. Don't get me wrong. It's a nice truck. If Peterbilt would put a Detroit engine in, I'd buy Peterbilt. If International would put in Detroit, I really like my Detroit. I, I've got excellent luck with them. You know, Cummins, I've had uh, Cats. And I had a Detroit in an old truck one time. It was a two-cycle, uh, 671, 238. And that thing would scream all day long if you push on it. And uh, <laughs> But these new Detroits, they got a lot of good engineering in them. And, and that's my opinion only. You know, other people are having sure. trouble. There is trouble with these engines. But I've had good luck with both of mine so far. And like, I'm so not going to wood again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Yeah. The 2009's got the, uh, is it the DD-15, is that what's in there? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's non-depth, though. Uh, it's just got right. a reflector underneath it. Uh, we're coming up, uh, it has, it's got 710,000 on it now and 40,000 more miles. We'll do another upgrade. Uh, we'll do the maintenance, uh, which will be, an over, the way I understand it, it'll be an overhead. According to them, when I got the truck, it got 7.19 was the average on the computer. 7.19. I can't get that. Uh, I, I I took some of the parameters out of it. Uh, you know, I like to go a little faster. And sure. but I set all mine at 75 and 78 on the pedal. And uh, we took the idle shut off. Man, I couldn't even build the air and that thing was shutting itself off. So huh. we got rid of all that, and uh, we opened up. Uh, uh, another thing we did to it, and we opened it up where, where it, the progressive shift. We took that out, and where you okay. get behind, and you're really going to go. You know, you can get out of people's way, and all of those things cost me about a half mile per gallon, six point five six on the last quarter off the speedometer. Not complaining. <laughs>